up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're not already a member at stickandball.tv, then you're missing out. With weekly videos posted from some of the greatest coaches in the country for baseball and softball, it's a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on the University of Oklahoma hitting coach and 2021 national champion, JT Gasso. JT has spent the past six seasons as Oklahoma's assistant coach and his primary responsibilities are focused on working with the OU outfielders and the Sooner offense. During his tenure, the Sooners have had one of the most potent offenses in the country and in 2021 broke almost every offensive category you can think of. The Sooners broke the NCAA single season home run record, the single season runs record, and OU also broke the record for runs and home runs at the Women's College World Series. So on the show, we go over how they developed into national champions and the offensive juggernaut they were in 2021. You're gonna love this episode with JT Gasso. JT, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got to set a date. I know <laughs> you've had a, a, an extremely busy summer and and let me be uh, you know one of the first, at least here, to say congratulations on you guys' national championship. Uh, and and so it's it, you guys are very deserving. You guys were an awesome, awesome team to watch, and I know that that it was it was a lot of fun. So I I do want to know, like, tell us tell us a little bit about that group. Like, I that's that's going to be a group that goes down in history. But man, it's it, you're going to miss a ton of those those girls, I'm sure. Yeah, well, we only graduated one uh, one senior, Nicole Mendez. So everyone's coming back. Um, oh, awesome! We got a really good freshman class coming in. The thing that stuck out about this team was how competitive they were, without a doubt, from the from the get go of uh, of our fall practices. It was creating those competitive environments, and let's just get after it. Um, and that's kind of what COVID created because usually, you know, we have uh, games in the fall where we will play um, other D1, some JUCO teams, like the, just the kind of standard fall. And what was different was we played – we had enough um, – a big of a roster to put two legitimate teams together and play. And, I mean, it was – I think we had 14 inner squads over the course of the fall. I mean, it was just battles. All, and it, it, it was different kind of battles from, you know, low, low scoring games, high scoring games, um, you know, mixing up the pitchers, mixing up the lineups, putting people in different positions and everything. But, I mean, it was such a fun year. Um, the group was great, loved learning, loved getting better. And that competitiveness, I think, to me, is what um, separated them and um, what stood out the most. Oh, I love that. And I love hearing that. And so I, I wanted to really rewind back to our most recent uh, thing, which was obviously the College World Series. And so I, I know that this got a lot of pub, and and <laughs> and so I, I want to hear your thoughts about it. So you guys are in Game Two and Game Three, and uh, you hadn't been doing a, as well as you had hoped. And so you see the entire team, or at least the entire offense, disappear into this closet, come back, and score like eight runs. So I don't know if it, if it's like a special sauce that you guys have, or or like the the special Gatorade that you know Michael Jordan has them drink at halftime of of Space Jam or whatever it was. But I just I, like what what 
what caused that or what did you guys talk about in that that really spurred the next couple of innings, which you guys scored a bunch of runs? Yeah, so every half inning, um, or, or I guess when we come back on defense or come back from defense, you know, we always meet in front of the dugout. And this is every game, every inning, and sometimes it's talking about game plans, talking about, you know, adjustments, letting them talk. Sometimes it's just like a, hey, here we go. Um, but what we did, and it's, <laughs> it did get a lot of pub, and it was it's kind of funny, it was so hot out there on the field that it was like, okay, let's go somewhere where we can cool off because it was like 20 degrees cooler in, underneath the, uh, the stadium in the dugout. And it was just the same message, but just letting them kind of cool off a little bit in that little locker room area. And one of the things that we uh, put a lot of um, thought into, we were looking at Andrew Huberman podcast, a neuroscientist that has a lot of um, podcasts, does a lot of work in, uh, in performance. And one of the things that we were um, trying to do was control body temperature. And what we basically, the easy way to think about it is, so body temperature goes up, the performance goes down. So we were, there's ways that we were cooling, cooling the body during, um, during those games and just trying to make sure that, that we were in the right state to be at like that peak performance level. So um, that's what I, I tell people. It's, it wasn't really like a Hoosiers moment, you know, or like that, that, that talk. It was just more of cooling the body down so we can focus on what we got to do, go out, and then let's just keep doing it. And I, I don't want to derail that conversation because I, I think that that's, that's really, really neat. But I, I do want to direct the guest to the Huberman Lab podcast just because it li literally may be one of my favorite ones that I listen to. And, and there's some in there that – Yeah, oh, game-changing. So good. So good. Yeah. Really, really good. And so I, I think – I've actually sent it to a couple of friends of mine in the last couple of weeks, like the balance one. Uh, the one with skills acquisition and just uh, it's anything. But so I, I do want to direct them to that. But I, uh, let, let's circle back to so you've got between innings, uh, game plans and, and adjustments. So you you meet with them uh, every half inning or, you know, however you do it. A couple of things that I have, it's like, OK, I, I, I want to do more of that. But I always felt like, number one, the guy that's about to hit, I don't want to or, or a girl in your case. Uh, I don't want them to uh, like lose out on on getting ready on deck or getting to see some, and getting ready like I, rushing to home plate. Uh, and then the second thing is is how do we make those small adjustments without like uh, overwhelming them uh, or like saying you know or, does that does that make sense at all? Because it's like you want to make those small adjustments. Uh, how what's the best way that you guys have found to do it? Right. So um, when they come in, kind of the the setup is uh, the person who's going to hit the person on deck will go in and get their stuff and come out. So they're getting their stuff and they're coming out while we're talking with the rest of the team. So you sometimes can miss it because, you know, basically the person uh, who's in the hole and then everyone else beyond that is going to be hearing the message. So um, what we'll do is sometimes get them to come out and just like, Hey, hear this real quick, or we'll, We'll talk, say what we got to say, and then kind of condense and condense that message 
for the person hitting and the person on deck. So sometimes um, it's, I mean, we try and make it as simple as easy as possible. Um, Cause like you said, we don't want to, we don't want to overwhelm anything or we don't want to overwhelm anyone. Um, and so for me, what the biggest thing was we got to practice that we have to practice in the fall. We have to practice in uh, just inner squads. What, like, how do you know, uh, identifying what you're seeing, identifying the issue and then fixing it. And then how are you going to fix it? And how you're going to fix it is going to be in like individual. Uh, uh, I guess it's going to be different for the individual. So like, for example, if somebody is struggling with drop balls, let's say someone's throwing drop balls for a strike. Let's say we went in the game and somebody wasn't throwing drop balls for a strike. Now here they come and they're just pounding that with a little bit of down, um, downspin. So, you know, what the message could be is, Hey, you can set your posture up. You can widen out. You need to get under the ball. We try and keep the, the cues like external, um, as much as we can, just because the, if I feel like if you're, if you're focusing on internal cues, like, Hey, my hands need to be this. And you're doing that while the pitch is coming. It's not going to, we, we don't find like a lot of success. So if there's stuff that we can do in our setup, or if there's stuff that we can do, um, maybe it's uh, positioning in the box or um, your stance or, you know, some different things like that, then all you got to do is think hit. And so um, it, it's, we, we practice it though in the identifying of what, your adjustment needs to be is something that we work on all the time because it's sometimes I think it's subjective. It's, it's really not up to me. It has to be um, up to the person who's hitting because at the end of the day, that's what I tell our hitters all the time is they're in the box hitting. I'm not. So if it, it needs to make sense to them and I need to be able to explain it in a way that makes sense to them. But a lot of times they're giving me the feedback that, I can just I, I I look I feel like my role is more of a caddy to them, so yeah, like helping that. them um, through that process uh, and not make it my thing, make it more of their thing. Cool. No, I, I I really like that, and and I I really like that you also mentioned. Hey, we train this in the fall, so then all it takes is when we get back to the spring, all we're doing is giving subtle reminders. And so this is one of the things that I that I really am, am trying to do a better job of. Uh, number one is training it during the fall and like mimicking the the different types of, of pitches we're going to see, and even like game planning and having practice game plans around that and saying, hey, you know, uh, I, I don't know for for your instance uh, the different pitches that you see, but like, hey, this guy's got some sync on his fastball, so we're going to look here. Uh, here's the tendency here, whatever it may be. But that way, once we get into the spring, it's like, okay, hey, I've, I've been here before and this is the adjustment that I made. And you talk about like a caddy. I, I really like that. So the other question that I have too is is getting players to talk more about what they're seeing uh, in the box. So let's say we, we've got this game plan formulated and sometimes it's just like, like give it time to work and let's let's get on time and let's go to work. But sometimes it's like it may be different than what the players are actually noticing in the box. Do you give them opportunities to, you know, talk and share? And what do those look like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I try and encourage that um, as much as I can because, you know, you have you have people who 
can relate a message a, a lot easier than I can sometimes. And, you know, we've had it to where people in the past can just by a look, they can look at someone and then the, the, that person's like, Oh, she's not throwing as hard today or, you know, something, something like that. Okay. Um, but, but that piece is so important because I think it gives accountability or gives, um, uh, it almost makes the the player like an investor in the game, right? And my thing is, like like I said kind of before, is I'm not the one playing. We're the players are the ones playing the game. So they if they are if they have some investment in that game, they're going to feel like you know they're on top of it that they want it to be good. They want it to put more effort into that. So. Um, it is, and with our team being as competitive as they are, we're, we're, we try and uh, get that like culture going and we, we do a lot of that in the fall, competing and whatnot. So now, now once they, when you take that mindset and then you add some um, in-game pieces to it and when they're, they know what they're looking at, they know how to explain. And that's a big thing that we do a lot of too is explaining what pitches are like. So looking at tilt, looking at spin rates, what do different spin rates of pitches do? So we do a lot of, um, a lot of that kind of information in the fall of understanding what different pitches look like, um, what different speeds look like, uh, where break points will be. Um, so it almost, they get like a pitcher's, um, perspective on what pitches do so then they can be as descriptive as they can um, with what they're seeing or, or at least be on the same page with what they're seeing and talking about in the dugout. Oh, really good. And I think, you know, the, the best teams that I ever played on and the best ones that I ever coached were the ones that we didn't really have to communicate a, a ton. We just had to get them back and you know, be like bumpers almost. And so I, I really like that. And I love that you guys are, are outlining all of this stuff in the fall, which we'll get into uh, here pretty soon. But I did want to rewind back to uh, the World Series. Again, it's, it's fresh on our minds and, and I've got some some specific questions that I want want to know. So you guys are in elimination games literally the the entire time you're there. And you guys had, had had an awesome regular season. You go in and you lose game one and now your backs are against the wall twice. Right. And so I want to know what what's your thought process in and uh, what was, I guess, the whole coaching staff and a team's thought process, <clears throat> excuse me, behind what do we do now? Like, what did you decide to do uh, that was successful for you guys? Because I, I think, you know, there's some some coaches that would freak out. There's some that are like, hey, we need to just keep doing what we're doing. And you guys were so successful in that because once you lost, then it was like, then we're not going to lose again. And you, you mentioned the competitive nature that your girls had, which I, I'm sure that played a big part of it. But, you know, what did you decide to do, not do? What was the messaging like? Just kind of walk us through how that environment, because I'm sure you were very disappointed. But at the same time, we are, we're still going to go win this thing. Right. So that that was a big thing. Um, going into the tournament, the, the thing that was a lot different is the capacity was going to be a lot larger. Right. So. Um, especially in this past year, we didn't really play with a lot of fans in the stands. Um, we went from 
limited capacity in UTEP to no fans in the stands, or I guess it was, I think ASU was 25. I mean, there was very little, like there was basically no one there. And then towards the end of the season, um, Oklahoma state was full capacity. That was, I, I would imagine close to a thousand. Um, and it got rowdy and it was like, it was on you quick like the mm-hmm. the noise and everything so um i say all that because the thing that we talked about was failure does not exist and there was a, a kobe bryant uh interview that he did with jameel hill hill i think it was a while ago mm-hmm. but um you know some of those cliches like that but we we really bought into that was that you know if you fail at something it's only a failure if you don't learn from it. So that was our big thing was, you know, how do you learn from these different things? So now I bring up the the stadium capacity because when you go in, you know, when you go into a game, it's the same game that you're playing, win or lose. It's uh, seven innings, 21 outs. You hit, you pitch, it's all the same. Literally, you're playing the same exact game. The only thing that changes is your environment. Right. So um, we talked a lot about what are the things that are going to um, influence your game mentally, physically, uh, technically, like all these different like what are the different things that can um, get into here? And that was what we found was a lot of it is all mental. So when we go into that game one, it's loud. It's crazy. And same thing with Oklahoma State. Went into that game one. It was loud. It was crazy. Um, And we kind of got caught up in that. And it's one of those things where it's like you can only talk about it so much because as soon as you feel it, it's just going to be different. So that game one, it was just – it was different. And credit Odyssey Alexander and JMU, they were not phased by anything. They just came out and they were throwing punches. And – we just weren't ready for that. And so, you know, you we lose that game one. You go into that game two, or sorry, that, that day two, which we have a day off, and it was just a kind of like a good reset for us of just like, hey, double elimination tournament. You know exactly who's going to be in front of you because um, the format of it is if you win, if you lose, you stay on your side of the bracket. If you win a game, and then if you win your first game and then lose, you'll flip to the other side of the bracket. So we knew, okay, Georgia's in front of us. And then we're going to have um, the winner of the – or sorry, the loser from the Friday night game. So so I say that because we were breaking down like opponents. I'm like, look, here's a path. You know that you're going to have to beat JMU twice to get in a championship game. Take this one, one game at a time right? One pitch, one game at a time. So it was a good reset, a good like understanding of, okay, we know what this feels like now. Now we can just go out and play. Let's do what we've been doing. So, you know, you get through, um, we, it was the um, Georgia and then UCLA was a great game for us. Um, Then we knew we had to play JMU twice, beat them twice to get in. So it was, Hey, JMU now turns into a three-game series. You lose the first game. Now you have two games. Um, like it's it's a series. Let's let's win the series. So now once we get done with that, it was okay. Now we have a completely new 
tournament, basically. We have a, a th another three-game series, Florida State, and it was the same exact thing. We lose. They came out just – they got after us. Really, they did a really good job. Um, and it was one of those things where we just couldn't catch up. We just couldn't get things falling. Just, you know, I wouldn't say that the crowd or anything got to us. Um, it was just a little bit different, right? So lose that first game and then going into game two, it was like, hey, three-game series again. Let's play. I love, I love hearing that, and I love just – I love the thought process behind it because they've been in three-game series before. Like that's that's a typical thing, and that's – you know, you talk you can talk about elimination games and, and do the fear tactic of, hey, if we lose, we're going home, or you can, you know, take a step back and go, hey, we've been here before. This is just another th another three-game series that – uh, that, that we've been in all, all season long. And so I, I love that. I, I love the Kobe quote, you know, failure is not, you know, is not a thing. And, uh, I, I think I've seen that going on social media before, which I, I think is really, really good because I think for me, if we can get players to play fearless without fear of, of just what's going to happen, I, man, it just frees them up so much. And I wish, I wish that I felt like that on a daily basis. Like I just, I went through life fearless almost. And so I just freeing them up just be, by, by, you know, talking them down. I'm sure they were really disappointed. I'm sure they were really pissed. Uh, but giving them an, an, that perspective in that moment from you guys, I think was a huge deal. Like that, that's coming from the outside in, but I, I'm it, obviously it made a huge difference. Yeah. It's um, and the, the big thing is we wanted to just play. And I think that is a big thing that is lost in a lot of this is just the, the, um, the word play and you know you have in the youth level you have just a ton of things uh whether it's you know showcases or the you want to get recruited or you want to get this so the playing aspect um is kind of it, it kind of has gotten lost over the the years whereas um you know when you talk to you know the legends at least in softball it was you know we played they can remember those battles that they played in in travel ball in college at the Olympics. They were just, you know, playing at a very high level, um, but just letting them play and play the game and um, just anything that entails with that and just keep the fluff out of it. And I think that's what's kind of hard too is sometimes there's a lot of fluff on with social media, with media, just like TV in general of, you know, if you guys win and the record, we never talked about any stats, any records, because it's to us, it was just fluff. We wanted just to play and win and anything that didn't, that um, helped us on that road, we, we latched onto. If it didn't help us, we didn't like talking about it. I love that. So let's let's go back and let's let's talk about what you guys are. We can talk about last fall or, or what you're going to do this fall. And hopefully, you know, it, it will be without any covid restrictions and we have, you know, back to back to regular uh, regular fall. But I just want to know, like, let's say you've got you get all of these girls on campus in August or early September, whenever you guys can start practicing. You've mentioned that your training in the fall sets you up for what you guys are doing in the spring. So just kind of walk through an outline of what you, what you all are doing and how you're, what you're training, what you decide uh, that you need and, and what's, what's really important to you. Yeah. So I, 
I think um, the COVID year for us changed all of like it changed us as coaches and um, it was in a good way. And it was, it gave us some time in the summer for like after this, the the season was canceled going in the summer, really got to sit down and evaluate like our practices um, and not like, like actual practice, but more of like, is so like for me personally is what I'm doing as a coach good enough. Um, and, and so that was one of the things that I know that we identified was we need to be, we need to be very clear and direct on everything. We can't assume anything. So like what that looks like for me is, okay. Um, uh, runner at third, less than two outs, you know, what's the job here? And if I were just to assume like for us, it'd be like, you know, score the run. I can get a ground ball up the middle. Um, I don't even have to get a hit to score this run. Right. But we can't assume that anyone knows that. So um, for us, it was, I, um, you're going to hear a lot of the word identify, but just like, no, I love it. Like literally go over everything and not in a way that is going to be like super advanced or super, tech or like hard to understand. It's just like, okay, Hey, look, here's what, here's what's happening. Here's the situation. Let's do this. This is this pitch. How are you going to do it? So for me, I, I would make it a, the thing of like a broad sense of as a hitter, you want to be able to hit everything. You want zero holes. You should be able to hit to left field, center field, right field. You should be able to hit in, out, up, down, Curve, screws, rise, drops. You should be able to hit 50 all the way to 75. Actually, we would say like 45 all the way to 75. And that, if you give a broad sense of that and say like you want to be able to do everything, then everyone's going to have kind of what their different challenges are, right? So um, first thing we do in the fall is we we test them. We do uh, our on-base use screenings, which – for me have been a total game changer and really changed the way that I look at hitting in the sense of if I am a, if I'm a hitting coach and I'm expecting you to be able to do this and you physically can't do that, then what, what's my message to you? Like if someone told me, Hey, I need you to go dunk. And I'm like, I can't do that. And then, and then that person would get mad at me for not being able to dunk. I'm like, well, I can't dunk. I just physically can't dunk. So in the way of when it comes to hitting, if you physically can't do something, then I need to find a way to be able to help you get past that. So that was a, the one thing I learned from that, uh, that whole process was the physical side um, of hitting and just understanding how one little physical thing can um, – can accelerate a uh, a flaw or a you know if someone can get beat inside or you know whatever the the uh, the thing is so um, we we do a lot of testing in the fall see what they can see what what they can do see what they're limited with um, body wise uh, the way they move and we'll do some uh, uh, k some uh, k motion swings just to see that and then we'll test them. Um, on 
different speeds and different pitches. So now within the first two weeks, we have a pretty good idea of where people are at when they come in. And it's just like, hey, my, you know, I'm coming off surgery. Someone might say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming off an injury, you know, whatever. So it's less, hey, let's get less swings and more strength work in this area. Let's get you moving right before we just throw you in and start, you know, swinging. Some people might be like, hey, I haven't really, I took a lot of time off. I played, um, played in a league or did a ton of stuff. So like light effort swings that can still create some good movement patterns and still get them to do it without putting a lot of stress on them. So we will use some uh, tennis ball work with the half bats, which I found to be awesome. Love that, uh, that tool. Um, but, but yeah, so the, just figuring out where they, where they are as a hitter and then everyone's going to be a little bit different. But what we found is that you can kind of group people in different scenarios. So here's everyone who has limited hip, hip mobility. Here's people who have limited ankle mobility. Now you can kind of set some workouts or set some things that can help them with that. But it's, it's okay. How are we going to progress you as an individual player throughout the entire fall? So now when you get to the middle of the fall, um, the way that, you know, we've practiced with individuals and team practice and all that, um, it's okay. Where are you at now here? So we'll do the same test in the middle of the fall just to kind of see where they're at. And what we see a lot of times is, you know, that we'll do the, the tests and everything. And then all those, they, they, they're able to pass, you know, all those, those tests just cause they're able to move again. Um, and in the now, once we get to the end of the fall, you're starting to see um, exit velos go up. You're starting to see performance against different pit. Like now their holes are like starting to become strengths, right? So um, they now the big thing is the mental game in the fall. And I think the tactical piece in the fall. And I think those are the, the two that are the um, least represented in our game now. I don't know, like, you know, I haven't been in baseball in a while, um, but I know in softball you see a lot of, um, like on Twitter, you'll see a lot of uh, swing mechanics, which don't get me wrong, is I think it's very important. The way you move, the way that you hit, the way that you're um, getting the bat through the zone, all those um, concepts are great, but they're not everything. And I think in the physical part, you know, workouts, I can get faster, I can lift weights, I can get stronger, right? Those are the two that I, that you can put out there the most and get feedback on. But I think the tactical piece and the mental piece of softball is, again, so underrepresented. And I think it's because you it's subjective, you can't like, I can't say, okay, Hey, let's, let's do a confidence level right now. Let's see where you're at. You're, oh, you're at 70%. You know, I'm looking at an app. You're at 70% confidence level today, right? It's, it's up to the individual. It's up to that person. And, um, we, we try and give them some perspective in the fall. We try and get them to compete, to learn how to manage failure, learn how to, um, breathe, like breath work is a big thing that we got into as well. Um, and that was again from, you know, Huberman podcast and everything, but, um, but those two pieces, uh, 
we work on those more towards the like the middle to the end, um, whereas the the technical and um, physical piece will always start with, and it kind of morphs a little bit over time with uh, with what it is that we're working on. If that if that kind of makes sense. Oh, I love that, and I, I love uh, your so you're spacing it out essentially to okay, we're the furthest away from competition. So that we have, a, we have some time to be able to make physical changes if so. But I do want to go back to the screen because, you know, you see, you see a lot of, uh, of this on, on social media too, uh, with, with on base you and, and, and TPI and some other, some other different screens. But I, I want to know, you know, personally, was there anything that really stood out or was there something that you were asking a player to do specifically? And, and you don't have to name the player, but you were asking uh, X player to do this and then you learned later or you saw on their screen that they literally they they couldn't do it so you were able to either start working on that or find a workaround uh because i i i know that that happens uh, quite frequently with just setting people up better like we don't have to fix their mobility some of that is is an aid i think and that's where i think some coaches are you know we can get that wrong because we go hey we can fix this but it may take you know, a year of, of really doing this, or we can just set them up a little bit differently, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So that's, that is what was so great about, you know, the, the on base use screens and the K vest is it gave me accountability. And I think as coaches, we need to keep ourselves accountable and not just throw a drill or throw things at different people and just holistically look at like, Hey, what's, you know, what's going on? So one of the coolest things that, that I saw was we did the K motion when we first did it, uh, in 2020. So this was like the spring of 20, we did it off front toss, right? So it's front toss, boom, 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 easy. Okay. And then, so I thought that was the easiest way to kind of manage that was, okay, we'll just go easy front toss. So mm -hmm. again, in the fall, and like this fall of 20, so this past fall, we did it and it was everyone was without any instruction, without anything, just easy front toss. It was one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Everyone's like going through their perfect sequence, right? They're crushing the ball. I'm like, okay, sweet, right, right. What are you going to say? You're, you're doing really good. Um, so then it was, hey, let's see what this looks like on live. And, um, we put them up, we put them in a live setting and it was interesting because the very first person we saw was the pitcher on our team who threw the highest velocity. She was 68 sitting 70 at that point. Like she was throwing gas and our hitters were just flat out. We're not ready for that. So we put two, two hitters, um, because it was, we have a, um, basically one K motion like setup. So it was one person hit while the other person's off and then, you know, we'll, we'll switch them. Sure. So while they're in there, what we saw was now their swing patterns were two, three, four, one. So it was torso, shoulders, bat, hips. I was like, what the heck is going on right now? And so what we, what was happening was they were compensating because of the speed, right? It wasn't anything that had to do with, you know, physically or, or whatever it was, it was, okay, the speed is so fast and they're so not ready for it 
that they're going, they're trying to get their back caught up with their upper body, with their hands. So now instead of me saying, Hey, we need to, your, your load is this, your, your bats doing it was, Hey, let's just start a lot earlier. Treat this as like it's 80. Cause right now this is just blowing you up. And then you started to see a lot better, um, you know, a lot better movement patterns, start to see better sequences and, or more normal swings based on that. So the, we saw a lot of compensating moves of you'd see like kind of like this move with your shoulders or with your bat first. But I, I saw a lot of um, squatting patterns that were very limited. And so we did a 14 day like mobility challenge where we really, we really worked on a squatting pattern and kind of getting um, the body able to, to move like that. So we see a lot of low back issues in, at least in, in uh, a general female athlete population. And I don't know this, I'm not exact on the science behind it, you know, but it was with, with at least what worked with our players was they were staying in like an anterior pelvic tilt for most of the day, like not just outside of softball. They were staying like that, like in everything. So doing like having a posterior move, like getting them kind of back to center and talking about their posture was a challenge for them. So we were working a lot of posture, a lot of squatting patterns and just saying like, look, when you do a squat, it shouldn't hurt you. When you hit, it shouldn't hurt you. Like these are just natural, like athletic movements. Let's try and make it to where we're moving in the right direction and, and you have a good setup and then I can just move, I can move free. And so once we kind of worked on those issues, you started to see a lot of people, um, you know, holding their posture a little bit longer, getting in good positions on their load. Um, you know, you start to see instead of like kind of loading like on their quad and getting their 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 positioning over their toes, you started to see people kind of sit a little bit better and they were just more balanced in the box. Um, but those were kind of the things that were unique to us. I don't know how much of that is unique to the entire female athlete population. I don't even know if uh, like the male population, how much what, what that looks like. Um, but we were, there were some things that we could fix on the setup side. Cause I feel like those moves, a squatting pattern, um, uh, the, a, a rotary like swing pattern are natural. And you should be as an athlete, you should be able to do those without having to compensate from other areas because it's not like, you know, they're, they're all able to bench 300 pounds and they're able to make up for it with that upper body strength. So just getting them into those um, patterns was huge for us. And it, it, they, uh, they felt like they were, it was able to free them up to swing. I love that. I love hearing that too, just because it, it, it's not unique uh, to, to, to your pop. I, I think that a lot of, and this is just a theory that I have of mine too. We see that a lot, uh, the anterior pelvic tilt. So we're thinking of like, if you could see it on video, they're yeah. tilting their hips like forward, uh, for those, uh, who are, who are unfamiliar with the term. And so I think that that's because they're sitting in a desk all day long and they're just sitting in that, 
uh, for basically, you know, 10 hours of the day or eight hours of the day, whatever it is. And then if we don't try and work them out of that, then that's just going to become their compensating pattern for, to be able to do that. Uh, and this is why, I, and this is, some, I don't know how many teams do it, but you'll see a lot of the Dodgers players, they'll do, uh, they'll try and get their hips underneath them and do like the pelvic tuck. So you'll see them either on deck or like step out and they're trying to get, they're trying to at least uh, trying to get their spine to line up with their, with their pelvis. So they'll like, they'll like consciously under like tuck, tuck their, uh, tuck their yeah. pelvis underneath their shoulders. If, if you go into on YouTube or, you know, however, and watch some of our um, past games, Lindsay Elam would get set up. She would get her stance and then you'd see her pelvis just go whoop, right? Just mm -hmm. right underneath. And that yeah. clicked for a lot of them. But I know for her, she was like, like, I'm going to do this between every at bat or between awesome. every time that she stepped in. And it, it helped a ton for her. She loved it. And just letting her kind of stay in that, position so i'm gonna have to have her um watch dodger games and have them look to see if she can see it i'll tell her she started that <laughs> yeah she started the trend that's great no i i love that and and so you, you start with the physical piece and again thank you for going into some detail with with what you guys are seeing because just because you know we we see this the sound bites and the the short snapshots on social media but what does it look like in person and so again thank you for that but then I, I did, I, I agree with you with the tactical side of things. I think for the most part, this is maybe the smartest generation we've ever had, maybe the most physical uh, generation that we've ever had. But I, I do think that that they are missing some of that tactical piece just because the focus has been on uh, the focus has been on, on other things, you know, physically developing the swing. We have a ton of a ton more video than we used to have. You've got a, a ton of, and you even alluded to it earlier. We have so many different things that can measure things. And so understanding the tactical piece and the mental side for this generation is, I think that's, that's kind of the competitive advantage. And so I, I'd love to hear more. You talked about breath work, uh, managing failure. A lot of the girls that you're getting on campus were, you know, top five, 10 players in the country and really hadn't dealt with a lot of that. So if you don't mind, just what are some strategies that you use uh, for the mental game from the tactical side uh, that we can steal from you? Because I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, and that kind of like I said earlier, that that mental piece is so subjective and um, every everyone's is going to be different. And, you know, people are going to um, use life experiences or perspectives that they gain from their parents or their upbringing or, you know, whatever the case is, they're going to bring that into into the game. So it's just really understanding that, you know, there is no bad things that happen from a fail in a game and in the sense of, Hey, failure doesn't exist. Right. And that was like early on, like, Hey, failure doesn't exist. So now Jocelyn, um, Jocelyn Allo can go and sh maybe strike out her first at bat, but it doesn't do anything to her for the rest of the at bats. And it was just understanding like the mental piece of how, one bat at bat can snowball into four bat at bats. And, you know, you hear the cliche of, you know, they, they had, how many times did you hear like the three, um, they went over three and then their fourth at bat, they had a game winning hit. Right. So our thing was let's not even kind of defining like, Hey, what success is, but also understanding too, like, we're not going to wait for the 0 for 3 just to be like, now I'm in a big moment. I'm going to step up. It's 
mentally are you going to be able to stay in with first at bat, second at bat, third at bat, fourth at bat, like all of them. So it's understanding like what you can control, what you cannot control. And we, we talk about the things that we can control is um, our effort, you know, our attitude, all those things that you heard in like, you know, peewee sports, right? Your effort, your attitude, what pitches you swing at, how hard you swing at it. So we try and just control those. And, you know, the, the, the way that we talk about it is if I go out and I go 0 for 4, but I have four like shots, four linias into um, the the outfield, right? And they're just – they're right at people. But they are hard hit. Exit velocity is way up. But now I get into a situation where I'm, uh, let's say, three for four. And they're all like, like little – like duck farts, right? Just right over the infield bleeders as a righty hitter, right? It got jammed. Boom, they, they, go, they go down. And it's like, which ones do you prefer? Now, from a performance standpoint, you'd be like, yeah, I want the three for four. You're on base for three three times. Um, you, you're you helping your team, you know, whatever. Whereas the other one is like, hey, you weren't on base, but, you know, you hit the ball hard. So for us, all of it is a success. None of it's a failure. Because if you go 0 for 4 with four shots, hit the ball hard. You can't really control, you know, what happens after you hit the ball. Defense is going to, you know, play defense. Whereas the other one is like, hey, you didn't hit the ball hard, but you still found a way to get on base. It just it happens like that. It's great. So we try and celebrate as many things as that we can. And then it's just understanding, like, if you're staying on that path and you have all these things to celebrate, now you don't have to be down about an out. And, and also, if you do get an out with something that you didn't get, how are you going to fix it? What is it that you saw? Is it on you? Is it, hey, I felt I was a little anxious in the box. I was, my heart rate was up. Um, uh, it was my, you know, my body, I wasn't ready. My timing was off, you know, whatever the case is, or they pitched out of the plan or, you know, whatever, whatever that case is, it's how are you going to fix it for the next piece? And you, in it, you have nine batters to, or I guess eight batters in between to figure out what is it that you're going to do to fix that and not even fix it, but just how are you going to perform and beat them on this next at bat? So um, from the mental side, it's just all about keeping that game atmosphere like ready and just, you never leave it. You stay in that game piece because you know, you just, you, the game is going to dictate what it is that you're doing. Meaning like, you know, sometimes you are going to go over, sometimes you are going to go, four for four. Um, but what is the game um, need? What do you, what is the game asking or, or giving you at that point? Sometimes a walk, sometimes a hit by pitch. You just got to like take what it is that you're being given at that time. And at least that's what we bought into and worked on kind of in the fall. Sure. No, that's really, really good. So, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier and you've mentioned this a, a couple of different times, uh, especially with, with the timing piece. So uh, during a game, <laughs> I mean, there may be some small mechanical adjustments like you mentioned with, with setting up uh, to be able to hit certain pitches. 
Uh, but also it's like that, that tactical side is, is the quickest, easiest fix, uh, because mechanics wise, I mean, it's just, you may have little bitty tweaks, but at the same time, if you're thinking about what my body's doing in the box while the pitch is coming in, it's, it's going to be really hard to, to hit it. And you also mentioned that timing was a huge deal, uh, in the fall after you got the, the, the K motion sensors on the players and then they were late. And so it threw everything else off. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on the timing piece, because, you know, watching you guys play, it just seemed like it didn't matter what, if the pitcher was throwing 75, you mentioned, or 45, you mentioned, they were, they did a really good job with just owning timing windows. Like that was one thing that was like, okay, they are, they are starting really early and they are moving really well to the ball. And so just it, whatever you can, I'd, I'd love to hear how you train that, your thought processes, your cues, or whatever you guys are doing. Uh, because it, for me, it, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons why you guys were able to do what you did. You have really talented players, but you guys seriously like owned a lot of timing windows against some really, really good pitchers. Yeah. So first, first with that, I got to give it up to the godfather of timing, Perry husband. He um, he's awesome. And he has really helped me kind of understand timing from a, with all the work that he's done. Um, I think it was like early two thousands and um, just kind of, I, I pick his brain a ton and uh, he's, he's great. And just with everything with EV and um, just, you know, differentials and, and speed and what that looks like has really kind of helped um, our understanding of what timing is. So, you know, you kind of go back to like what it is that like as a hitter that you need to be prepared for. So for us, it's like, you got to be prepared for anything and everything. Um, and it's, you know, with the timing piece, it's, can you feel what different pitches, um, look like and feel like, and so for us, it's all about, can you feel timing? Can you feel what that's like? So, um, you know, if, uh, EV wise, if a pitch seems faster and someone's throwing 70 and they're throwing you in, do you know how to make it feel like 80? can you feel what 80 is like? And so for us, we literally practice hitting 80 miles an hour. And it's, I mean, it's a tough environment because it's boom, it's on you, but it's like, Hey, let's figure it out. Let's try and get it. And so one of the coolest things was when we set that up, um, we had a hitter who uh, thought of themselves to be a ground ball hitter. And they were just like, you know, I'm going to, put the ball in play and be like, use my speed and, you know, be more of that type of uh, person. Sorry about that. So, um, so then when we set that machine up and was like, Hey, just let's see what you got. She was starting to kind of self-regulate and kind of do some, uh, some moves. It was like, Hey, here it is. And she was getting her timing down and feeling what that was like. And when she stepped in and this is off the machine on the field, she hit an absolute nuke and it was just crazy. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like it was off 80. Love it. And it was like, okay, now look, if you can feel comfortable with that, now imagine when you need to um, tap into that, you know what that feels like now. So sometimes your body is going to dictate what it feels like. If I'm feeling sluggish to, on a certain day and I step into the box and 65 is blowing me up, then you know what? If I am trying to feel 65, maybe I need to dial it up a little bit to be like, hey, I'm going to feel what 75 is like. 
and then you can kind of keep making adjustments. So for us, it was exposing them to those different speeds and knowing how to hit um, a, as big of a spread as you need to. Um, and it's like, you know, if you can hit within t like just a simple 10 miles an hour and just get like a good exit speed, then we'll feel pretty good. But that's, um, that's all credit to, to Perry and kind of the work that we've done with him since 20, 2016, I think I, I started reading his books when I was like a GA in 12 and 13, but really kind of got to dive into it. Um, when I was on staff. So it was, uh, it, it, it's a, as big of a, like a training environment piece of exposing them to those different things and then just letting them like apply that to in-game situations. I really like that. And I think that the take home piece for me too, cause you hear, Hey, we want to set up an environment that that's tough, but you also are like, Hey, here's the reflection piece of, this is 80. This is what it feels like. So understand what that's like, because you may not, you know, if you're setting up a, a training environment, you may see it tomorrow or you may see it next week, but we need to make sure that we are getting back on track to what that feels like uh, quicker. And I feel is such a huge thing. And I, I know we, we were talking earlier just about uh, players being able to communicate that because again, it's going to feel different in the box. And once you guys are setting that up in the fall, then it's like, Okay, now what is it? What is it? Is, is it what we thought? Is it not? And how does you know how does how does this fastball feel, or how does this you know whatever pitch that they're throwing feel? And that way, it may be a little different for each hitter, but it's it's no longer hey they're throwing ninety two. Okay, but like what does that ninety two feel like? It it may be super high spin, but they may be releasing it really close to the rubber, and it may feel like eighty eight or whatever it is. Right. So that's a that's a huge thing. Yeah, and that's you know talking about terms too. Um, when we say, Hey, she's selling, selling hard. You know, when I was in uh, junior college, I wasn't like the best, the best ever. I wasn't really like not even close. So what I, if I would get back from a bat and say, Hey, he's selling hard. You know, they might be like, dude, this is 85. What are you talking about? This isn't hard. I'm like, it's, it's coming, you know? But just, so I think just knowing like those terms. So it, it got kind of cool uh, where, kind of towards beginning middle of the season you start to hear hey it's like 67 so now they start to like pinpoint like speed it's like 67 it's not quite 65 it's not quite 70 it's you know 67 68 but once you get like those exacts now you know what that is so the way that i approach that is going to be different than what somebody else might is instead of like broad general terms like slow fast um uh, loopy, uh, I, you know, some, some of those terms that for us are a little bit different or could mean different things. Sure. No. And, and again, it's, it, it is subjective, but it's also, we've trained this and, and they are getting to the point where they know each other. So they know what, uh, what each other's cues may be, which is, which is re a really neat, a really neat thing too. And well, I, I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know if you deal with this, but like the last week of the season, in regionals, we saw uh, 59 miles an hour top out fastball, which is, you know, baseball terms at high school level, really, really slow. And then we turn around the next week and we and we see 95. So it's like we have to be able to cover that spread. And so the 59 was getting us out. 
and the 95 was getting us out. And, you know, you hear with the slower pitchers, it's like, oh, they're throwing too slow. And then with the the kid that was like 92, 93, touch 95, it's like, oh, is he throwing too fast? Like, are, you know, so just being able to adjust to that too. But, I, you know, it, it's such – you guys have the same thing with that that huge spread because you may see change-ups at 45 and uh, fastballs at, at 75. And so how, how what is that – how, how are you able to cover that amount of time and space and location? Like what I know you've mentioned the training environment too, and, and swing mechanics play into that and, and seeing it often plays into that too. But I just like, a, that's, that's a really tough thing to teach. First of all, 59 and 95 in baseball is sick. That'd be, <laughs> that would piss me off. Yeah. It was, it was, oh, it was something. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, I, I think, uh, just with that, it's kind of understanding like what are you seeing on that particular day. So, um, you know, if somebody is throwing 50, 45, 50, like what are you going to do to hit that? Someone's throwing 75, you know, basically just adjusting for what that is. I don't, you don't see it a ton where somebody has like a 30 mile an hour spread, so like a 70 to 40. Um, you might see 15. It 10 to 15, 20. So I'm trying to think. I think 70 to 55. So that's um, what, 15, right? Yeah, 15. And so it's knowing like, what is, is what does that feel like? Can you identify um, out of the hand when that other pitch is coming and you know, is your body set up to hit it? Some people can, some people can't. And it's not like we just give up on, on that. And uh, like a lot of stuff that we'll do is we'll do like a hit and run. We'll do a hit and run drill where it's um, you're setting up for 75, you know, you're going to swing the bat. um, And based on the different speed, are you still able to hit it? The big thing is trying to stay in as good as position as you can and gear your timing up. And if you just see, or feel something different, then, you know, you can do it. And we had a former player, Fale of you was really, really good at feeling change-ups. She just could, and that's kind of goes to like the, I think it's game sense and that occlusion training was if, if they're picking stuff up, you know, in the pre, like pre-release where it's with the glove or something that's tipping and they can feel that, then they're like sitting on it and making that adjustment like mid pitch, which is crazy, but it's all about feel. And are you able to cover that? If you can, if you can, awesome. If you, if you are having a hard time or your exit velocity is not going to go up on that change up, if you're sitting that, then you don't have to sit on it. So um, or, or at least cover that. So it's just the, you know, I, I feel like if you feel it, um, or at least with our hitters, if, if they feel it, they can see it a lot better and they can make better decisions rather than just trying to like sit fastball, adjust change. The, mm-hmm. the feel of it is, um, is I think works for them best. Sure. No, 100%. So with that, I, I know that one of the things that a lot of programs are trying to do now is to use the environment to train that stuff. But we, you run into a couple of issues with that. So you've got machines that can train velo, but you don't necessarily see arm action, torso, or it tipping, or any sort of like movement with hands, right? So 
they have to learn to, to time the machine, which is a little bit different than what they're going to see in a game just because the spin is different and the there's no arm action. Uh, you also have, you've got BP throwers who, you know, are like us, who their arm is going to fall off if they throw, you know, too much. And, but you can replicate it a little bit better. I, I, I would like to know just the balance of how much uh, how much you guys do machine work, how much you guys do try and do live, uh, and and maybe uh, maybe with softball, I know the underhand motion you could do it a little bit more than like seeing live off of a pitcher every day uh, that's throwing overhand. But I, I would just love how do you guys balance that because with pitch recognition, uh, it's one thing to feel off of machine, but the the seams aren't there and, and you can't really time arm action. But with arm action, you're not going to be throwing 90 from 60 feet, six inches every single day either, or, you know, uh, whatever that, that means in the softball world, you're the expert at that. But I'd love to hear how you, how you guys balance, uh, really just the live arm and the machine and then regular BP, uh, just things like that, just because it, it seems to come up quite frequently. Yeah. So we kind of, uh, vary up our, uh, the releases. And I, I think a lot of it too, is like the pitching motion, how long that takes. And I think what's unique in in uh, baseball is when you're, you know, when you're uh, going from the stretch, you can vary how long your um, like your time to the plate. And you're starting to see it a little bit more where guys are varying their time to the plate when they're coming out of the windup, you know, and it's, you know, uh, Cueto's little wiggle um, or, you know, some things like that. So what we try and do is just understand like, okay, timing wise is a, a, just an easy general way is where are your, where is your trigger at in relation to where the pitch is? And so, you know, for a lot of them, it's where is your hip at in relation to where the ball at the ball is. So if the ball is getting on you and you still haven't made your move, you're going to get blown up. Are you ready to make your move to fire when you need to, or, when you want. So we talk about you know, the process of your swing um, from the time that you lift up or make your first move to the time that you actually hit it. You got to understand how, like you got to know yourself what, how long that takes. And so what we'll do sometimes is, you know, we, we train a lot of machines because that is the, to me, I feel like that's the best way to get a feel for what the actual velocity of the pitch is going to be. And, you know, sometimes spin rates might be off or too unrealistic, but I think the velocity of the pitch matters a ton and what that feels like. So um, what we'll do sometimes is we'll take a, a tarp and we'll uh, just like a little banner, you know, like a um, just something that was hanging outside and we'll put it over the netting that is um, in front of the machine. So what, what it looks like is you see me put the ball up and then it disappears and then you just see it coming out of the machine. So what you got to know is like trust the trust your swing, trust your movements, trust your timing and just know like pre, you're presetting it and kind of what what it is that you're trying to hit and then going from like going from there. So now if you can um, feel that timing or trust your your movements um, without like seeing like for us, you know, the motion or seeing that you can just trust it knowing that the ball and it, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Cause you see it, it's behind the tarp and it's coming out of the machine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't see it. So it's, can you trust that? So now 
Um, you know, once you're off the machine, you're seeing this. We'll have sometimes have it where they go up, down, and then put it in. So we'll kind of vary that. Um, but then also, too, we try and see live as much as we can, too, because I think that while training the speeds is important and feeling that, it is also important that you train as much um, game-like experience that you can. So now like we'll throw some, like I'll throw easy BP. We had uh, usually have a, a coach who can do that. Um, Aaron Arvalo, who was our volunteer coach, did a great job with um, throwing BP for us. And this is a, like a real like live pitcher sometimes. So That's we awesome. would you know have people set up where we have certain situations and it's a, you know, two, two count and she's throwing behind the net and then she's throwing like live. So in the equivalent, it'd be like, a coach um, throwing 80 from a mound in front of like for baseball, uh, like a BP setup, but he's like lifting up and then bringing it right. Or throwing curves or, you know, whatever it is, but she did a really good job awesome. of helping us with that. Um, and, and I just, there's nothing that's going to replace live at bats. And we try and see, we don't do it every day because, you know, you got to um, help manage the, the pitcher's arms and we don't want to tear up our pitchers and, and, you know, you got to be conscious of their health, but just as many timing environments as we can, not training environments. Yes. Like, right. You try and make it difficult and stuff, but we want them to be able to like where timing is not um, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's an arm, if it's a machine, if it's um, if we scoot them up, we scoot them back. It just everything is kind of uh, varied, so that way you have a clear understanding of how your body moves, and then what you got to do when you know pitch is coming to you. So we do a lot of that in different um, situations, scenarios. Oh, wonderful! Well, you've given me a lot to chew on today, <laughs> and so I've got a couple of a uh, couple of quick hitters, and then we'll we'll let you off the hook. But yeah, and JTS, uh, this is this has been a lot of fun, and it's it's it. There's so much that translates from baseball to softball and softball to baseball that I, I think that you you would be one to be able to speak to that. But I mean, have you have you seen the same thing? Um, I yeah, and and that's the thing too is just <laughs> we baseball and softball are you know some people say hey they they are the same or you know whatever, but I think softball is unique in the sense that it's its own it's a completely different sport completely different. And I think once you change some of the rules, it changes like the way that you play the game and, you know, it speaks to NFL, speaks to NBA, like all those different sports. But with the fact of um, the field being condensed, um, the pitching distance being condensed, the motion being different, like everything is different. So I think that while there are aspects that we can take from baseball. And that's the big thing is, you know, I don't know how much baseball is taking from softball, but I know we, we take a lot from baseball because they're very similar, but we don't do like every, like, well, because baseball does this, we got to do this. And um, just cause I, I feel like it's just completely, it's just different. And um, it's, it's trying to, to see what it is that we can take. And so like, like, for example, one thing is like with the crow hop, we see a ton of people in the outfield who come up, get a ball, and then they force that curl hop motion, right? I, you know, 
old Juco in and outs, it was the, the higher your crow hop was, the, the harder you're going to throw oh, the ball. Yeah. Or, or the, um, you know, the, uh, the double play turns where second base throws it, gives a little hop. And I, at the time, I was like, man, that's so cool. But now I'm like, okay, that doesn't work for <laughs> softball. So, you know, the, the, the thing is, like, if we see – if a, we have a runner going, runner at second – base hit center field and we know that they're going to crow hop it's an easy send easy send because you just don't have the same amount of time so there's things that you can take and a lot of it's from the hitting side um a lot of it uh you know glove work a lot of those like fundamental skills but i think what's so cool about softball is it's a completely different sport that has it you know a lot different challenges in this of the speed of how you not like velocity speed, but like the timing speed of, you know, uh, a, a good time down a fast time down the line is under three. Whereas in baseball is, uh, four, what was it? Four, under four. Right. So if you're like under four, you're elite, elite speed, right? Like MLB plus plus like 80 speed. Right. Sure. Um, 100%. I, and I don't know what, like, <laughs> I totally forget, but like pop times are different. Um, so now it's, it's you know, with the catcher, some things that are different, but yeah, the, my whole point is just that the game is completely different and it's just utilizing what would work and what wouldn't work or leaving out the stuff that doesn't work and really um, trying to take a lot of movement stuff or hitting stuff or throwing stuff that works for us. Sure. Great comments. Well, uh, with, with what you're learning too, you know, you've talked about, uh, obviously you're a learner because you know, you you've dropped some different resources, uh, with, with, as far as that goes, but I'd love to hear what you are starting to dig into. You've, you've had a little bit of time to decompress and you're going to be getting started probably before you know it, but taking this time to really dig into anything new that's gotten you really excited. I, man, I'll tell you, I just haven't, like last year we had all the time in the world to kind of sit mm -hmm. down and, and dig into that stuff. And I felt like kind of the stuff that we dug into was so good. We, the book by um, Fergus Connolly, I think his name was game changers mm -hmm. uh, was really a literal game changer and it's a textbook. So it's um, it's quite the read and it's, it takes a lot. It's more of like a team sport uh, approach where you talk about um, soccer and football and basketball and rugby and these different um, approaches on these team sports, but they go over everything. And we took a lot of good things from, from that, but um, that book was really, really good. Uh, but it's quite, it's kind of intimidating to, to oh, get through that. that. So you got to know <laughs> the areas that you're going through and you can, it's, uh, it's kind of like, it's not, it's not the Bible, but it's like the Bible where you can pick it up and find something and read it. That's something that you didn't read before and be like, Oh, you know, that's a good point. Or, you know, that's, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but yeah, it's, I like that book a ton for sure. Oh, I love it. Well, I'll, we'll end with this one too, because I, I want to steal even more stuff from you uh, because why not? But what is what is a drill that your your players like? So you you said that you've got such a competitive team environment and, and lo lots of competitive girls. But what like you show up tomorrow, you guys have a team practice, and you say you're doing this drill or this team set or you're doing this type of thing. What would they get really excited about? 
playing a scrimmage. <laughs> Wonderful. I, um, I, you know, one of the things that we, we try and set up as many competitive environments as we can. So like we'll um, split up into two teams. Like it's just easy one is like split up into two teams and each hitter is going to have, uh, let's say a, a machines on the mound. Each hitter is going to have an opportunity with score a runner at third, less than two outs. It's a seventh inning. Who's like, who's, who's going to win the game. So, it's you just tally up. Okay. You get a point if you walk. You get a point if you get on first. You get a point if the run scores. Out defense gets a uh doesn't get any points. Right. So it's just like you you gotta make the play. You gotta sacrifice when you you know you gotta do your thing. So then you just tally them up at the end. Winner winner picks up the field, loser doesn't do anything or sorry, winner doesn't do anything. Loser picks up the field or, you know, just some different kind of uh, mini games like that. So um, the, just the competitive piece, I, I don't have like a favorite drill. I know the competitive piece is what I, I personally like the most. Oh, that's awesome. Well, JT, I appreciate your time, man. And I, I we've got a lot to go through. We're, I'm going to have to listen to this again, just to, to really, to, to dig in more. But I'll I'll put your Twitter account online, and in case anyone wants to wants to reach out for for any questions or anything. But I did want to let you leave the you know leave the guests with it, with anything that you'd like. So is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? Man, um, I I don't I don't know. It's uh, I think a big piece uh, a bigger piece that we kind of dove into was just the overall pressures that I think athletes or young players go through nowadays. It's way more the stuff that they have access to or that they are kind of dealing with is way more than stuff that, you know, even I had to deal with or that we had to deal with when we were in college, high school over, isn't it weird to think it was 15 years ago? You know, it's, 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 that's crazy. But um, I think as the times change, what, at least what we're finding too, is the pressures on these kids are changing a ton. And if we keep pushing them and not, and, and I, I think there is a time that athletes do need to get pushed, but I also think too, that we as coaches need to be very aware of what is going on in their life and just understanding that, you know, when they show up to the field and something's not working right, um, there might be a giant, uh, a giant, like mountain of issues that they deal with uh, off the field. And a lot of it too, you're seeing with social media and a lot of that got opened my eyes with um, some of those documentaries, social dilemma. And I think there was one on influencers and the, and uh, what they, it's just brutal. And I'm just, I feel so um, I feel for these players and, was the one thing that we were trying to do is kind of give them a, our players like a, uh, a life outside of softball. Cause so, I mean, they only play at least in our world, you know, you want to be the best that you can be. But um, what we see a lot of is we, a lot of athletes get pushed beyond what they want. Like if a player wants it and they're going to go and go and go and go and go and push and push. Okay. That's great. But a lot of players, they just they just want to play. They don't really want um, that. So I think, um, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, hey, 
you know, we're, let's just be soft on them. And, but I think a lot of it is understanding today's athlete and just knowing like the, everything that, um, that we've gone through as, you know, millennials and another Gen Z, just, it's so different from there, but as each generation, um, past that, it's just completely different than anything that we've been used to. So, um, if I were to leave anything, it's just being mindful of today's athlete, the pressures that they're dealing with, and just kind of making this about playing the game, making it fun, and um, still pushing athletes to places that you know you can still push them to places they want to go while being mindful of all that other stuff as well. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.